so the name of the show is What Had Happened Was. Yes. So I ask people to say, what had happened was, and finish the sentence. You get it? I do. It... Yeah, I'm going to ask you both to do the same thing. Okay. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Uh, I think you're going to have to go first. Oh, man. <laughs> what okay. Happened was... no, no, no. What had happened was? What had happened was... We were at Dayton Podfest and there were all these awesome people here and I got super excited about hearing what every single one of them is gonna make. What had happened was I was at the uh, Dayton Podfest and everybody got rich and famous. How's that? It's <laughs> even better. <laughs> Happy springtime, everybody. It's me, Amelia Robinson from Dayton.com, and I am glad that you found the What Had Happened Was podcast. I am super excited to share this episode with you. Not only did I talk to two really smart people, they being Tony Peters of DATV and the Icon Fetch podcast, and Juliet Fromholt from the awesome Kaleidoscope and Alpha Rhythms on WYSO, but I did it live on the scene at Dayton Podfest 2019 which was, of course, hosted by our good friends over at the Gem City Podcast. Tony and Juliet have both taught podcasting, and we had a chat that I'm sure that any podcast fan or podcaster can get down with. Lots of lots of tricks and tips of podcasting are in this episode. And I also have some really cool news. The What Had Happened Was podcast launched its one millionth download last week. Woohoo! I'm really excited about that. And we plan on keeping the ball rolling with your help. Subscribe and rate this show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever else you find shows you love. Tell your friends about it. Blah, blah, blah. You know the deal. With all that said, let's get on with the show, which was introduced by Terry Izzy Martin from the Gym City Podcast. Here's what had happened was. Hey guys, so thanks a lot for coming on. We are live at Gym City Podcast's Dayton Podfest. Are you surprised that we're at a point now in podcasts that we, we can have a festival in Dayton around podcasts? I guess this is the second one they've done. It's pretty sweet because even when we started the podcasting workshops at YSO in 2016, there were a lot of people that were coming to kind of not just learn how to do their own podcast, but understand what podcasting is. So to have a group of people in this room that are actively doing it or getting ready to do it is like really, really exciting. It is cool. Now, Tom, you've been doing radio for a long time. Why podcast? I actually uh, did Dayton radio here and then the radio business has changed considerably. And a lot of what you hear on the radio is automated or not local at all. And so podcasting for me was a way to kind of get back to doing what I love, which was interviewing. I love to do interviews, and so I host a podcast called Icon Fetch, where I interview musicians from all over the world. And it's amazing to me, I've been doing this since 2010, and it was still just a niche back then, and it's amazing to see how things have grown. And I think in a way, it's really kind of the way the internet maybe was 15 years ago, where it's kind of that wild frontier, really not sure. Podcasting is just, it's still peaking, and I still, I, there's still forward motion. Why did you make the jump from doing a music show on the radio to doing like a music podcast? Well, um, you know, to me, it was something I could do from my own home. I have the, I bought all the gear, and I can do it in my house. And uh, I mean, I've talked to people that are in Australia over Skype, and it's already the next day, 
And I'm just thinking, you know, this person is 16 hours ahead of me, and it's like I'm sitting here in my basement talking to this person, and it's, it's just a fascinating thing. And if you continue to do it, and you continue to build up a network of people that you deal with on a regular basis, um, and that's how I continue to get guests for the show, it's a matter of being consistent. Um, however you do decide to do a show, if you do it once a week or uh, you know, a couple of times a month, whatever it is, if you're continuing to do consistently good work, then you build a reputation that way. So You know what, too, the audience is out there for sure. When I first started my podcast, what happened was podcast, what had happened was people were like, well, you're only going to have 7,000 downloads a month, and that's going to be great. We're like zeroing in on a million podcasts. This might be the one that gets me there, which is pretty awesome. Absolutely. People are listening. People want it. I think people want local content, which is why Gem City Podcast is doing this event, because there are a lot of podcasters out there. Now, Juliet, you've done, obviously, a lot, a lot of interviews in your career. You've been doing this for how long? I've been doing radio for 15 years now, 10 on staff at WYSO, and 10 hosting my radio show, Kaleidoscope. So, yeah, a a long time now. I went to journalism school, you went to journalism school, I know how to interview people, I'm not afraid to talk in public. What do you think people need to know about interviewing if they want to start a podcast? There are the basic basics that we don't think about in regular conversation, like don't ask a yes or no question because somebody might just say yes or no, and that's not very interesting for a podcast listener. There are also a lot of things that when I teach podcasting, I go over like how to engage a person, how to have a conversation through interviewing that is respectful and interesting to the listener, how to listen as an interviewer, because really the most important skill um, for a radio or a podcasting interviewer is not asking the best question on earth, it's listening to what your subject is saying and then following up, following those threads of really, really interesting things. So stuff like that, that we're all kind of aware of in the back of our minds because we hear it in what we listen to and in what we like, but we need to actually hear that as a direction and be really intentional when we're approaching those interviews and say, oh, right, I was about to ask a yes or no question. Mm, Maybe I can reframe that a little bit. And I would say, actually, to piggyback on what you're saying, I always, whenever I interview a famous musician, I always do a lot of research and I have a list of questions. But honestly, sometimes I don't even get to question two or three because what happens is, as Juliet is saying, you listen. You listen to what that person is answering to you and nine times out of 10, my next question comes from what they had to say. Now, do you like have a list of questions going into it? Absolutely, 100%. I do a lot of homework and I've had a lot of like, I interviewed an old blues guy named John Mayall that's been, I mean, he's like 85 years old and he actually commented to his press person that he's like, man, that guy really did his homework. And it's like, that's just what I like to do. I, you know, one of the things that's amazing is I've had people say, wow, you actually listened to my CD. Most people that interview me don't. I'm like, really? Yeah. You actually read my book. I'm like, yeah, well, I'm going to have you on my show. I'm going to do the research. But believe it or not, doing that, just that, I mean, you would think, well, of course, you're going to, but a lot of people don't. A lot of people get lazy. Oh, I've been doing it forever, so I'm just going to read the Cliff Notes version of this or whatever. Right. And if you come in prepared, it's going to show a difference. You know, I don't really have a list of questions. I just wing it, basically. But I do, <laughs> that's all right. But I do do a lot of research. Like, I know things about people before I sit down and talk with them. And that's one thing I think some people forget to do is that you need to know the subject that you're interviewing. 
Now, um, Juliet, do you have a list of questions, or you just could you interview a lot of musicians? Um, I have a list of bullet points of things I want to cover. I, I don't script out my questions, both because I'm live, and so the vibe of a live radio show is a little different. I have to kind of fill that space and compensate for what's happening live on the air. But also, I've been doing this long enough that um, I can operate off of bullet points. So I know I want to hit, you know, these five things. I want to talk about the new album. I want to talk about the upcoming tour. I want to talk about, you know, this really wacky anecdote that I read about on their Instagram that happened on their last tour. But the order in which those things come isn't the same for everybody and isn't always exactly what I planned out, again, because I'm listening, I'm following the flow of the conversation. So it's kind of a hybrid. It's, it's a list of, of topics, not necessarily questions for me. You're in the moment, too, and I think yeah. it's easy to get out of the moment. And it's actually pretty hard. Like, uh, I'm from a print world traditional print, transitioned to digital, now podcasting, now digital radio, but it's hard to like do everything at once. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's hard to listen and also make sure everybody's volume is right yeah. and everybody's whatever's going on right. Um, how do you balance it all out? It depends on the day, for sure, how well I'm doing that. So when I started Kaleidoscope, my radio show, uh, it was just me and I was doing literally everything, so pressing the buttons, interviewing the guests, miking the guests, setting them up. And I actually still have the show designed in that way because I like to be in control. That's just <laughs> a me thing. M moreover, quite honestly, with the live music, with the engineering of that, if something doesn't sound good, I want that to be my fault because my name's on the show. Um, so I really take a lot of ownership in that. That said, over the past five years, I've had a lot of interns, several of whom I've promoted to co-producers. And they, while I'm doing the interview and running the board myself, they are doing things like social media while I'm doing the interview. So when I'm interviewing a band, I'm telling people on my shows page, here's all the info for the new album, here's where to get it, here's where to go to their, you know, their show in town next weekend. And I have interns doing that or my co-producers doing stuff like that because that's kind of the line for me. I have gotten good enough with the controls where I can kind of do them mindlessly, like my hands can work absent of my brain that's focused on the interview, but the social media was just the last thing that I had to have somebody help me with. So it, it takes a lot of practice and I'm exhausted when it's over because it's like <laughs> such a, such a hyper-focused kind of a situation. Now, how do you stop from being nervous um, from interviewing a particular subject that you wanted to? I'll, you guys are. I mean, I, I've nerds. interviewed some. I mean, I interviewed Johnny Mathis, and I've interviewed uh, Ann Wilson of Heart, and like some big ones. And it's like there are times when you get a little bit of a jump, like, oh my gosh, I'm interviewing somebody famous. But then I settle in, and I just realize that you know, believe it or not, these people. They eat and drink and sleep and, and go to the bathroom, you know. <laughs> they do all the things like we And if you just treat them like a normal person, I mean, one of the things that you can do, whether you're interviewing a musician or a famous sports person, anybody, if you fawn over them and go, oh, my God, I just remember I used to listen to you when I was a little kid and I saw you in concert. Do you remember that concert? And it was like, I mean, it's just like when you fawn over somebody, that is a big, big mistake because then it makes that person feel uncomfortable. If you make that person just feel like a human being, when I'm doing an interview, I try really hard, even if I'm like inside, I'm going, I can't believe I'm talking to this person. I'm still going, well, hey, you know, that's great. You know, I'm like trying to keep it under control because when you do that, like when I interviewed Ann Wilson, the first five minutes of the interview, I can tell she was bristly, like, yeah, here's another interview. 
I'm doing this all day long to promote my new album. And then after five minutes, I could hear her relax because she realized, oh, this guy's done his homework and he's not like fawning over me. He's just doing a good interview. And that was my intention. And then at the end of the interview, she's like, hey, good job. That's one of the things you can get caught up in. Oh, at some point, if you're doing an interview type podcast, you're going to probably end up meeting somebody that is semi-famous. And the best thing you can do is treat them like a human being. I think the only person I've ever like nerd girled out was Diane Carroll. That was the only person, like I've interviewed a lot of celebrities, but Diane Carroll was like, oh my God, it's Diane, it's Julia. <laughs> if you don't know who Julia is, she's a big deal. Um, how about you, how do you stop from being like a nerd girl when you're interviewing? Um, it's, it's a lot along the lines of what Tony's saying about doing your homework. I always tell my students when I'm teaching podcasting or interviewing, be a person. Like, you are a person first and foremost. Like, don't think of yourself as an interviewer, like you've got your interviewer hat on. Like, be a person, be present with that person. You are a person talking to a person. Be really present with them. The other thing for me is, I always think about what the experience is for the listener. I've listened to plenty of interviews where the interviewer is doing that fawning thing. It's not fun. As a listener, I feel like there's a barrier between me and what's happening uh, on the microphones when one person's going, ooh, ah, I love you so much, and the other person's kind of like, yeah, okay. Like, that's not engaging to me as a listener. So I try to put myself in my listener's shoes and be like, okay, my duty is not to fangirl out here. I'm not here to, you know, fulfill my 13-year-old girl dream of meeting this musician. My duty is to interview this person for my listeners. So I always try to put them first and really focus on what can I do in this moment to create a good experience for the people on the other side of these microphones that aren't in this room with us. Are those things that you wish you knew before you started podcasting that you know now? Hmm. That's a good question. Well, thank you very much. I went to journalism school. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the things is, like for me, I'm a very creative person. And so I see people that are better marketers than I am and better promoters. You know, and it's like I tend to be more creative. And that's one of my hard things. I've been doing a long time. But it's like I think what I would say is try to save some time to promote what you do and network. You know, I spent the first few years of what I was doing just being creative. I was producing three shows a week and, and I am like crazy with the editing. So like I was spending hours and hours editing each of these podcasts and I'm like, okay, you know, and it's just exhausting. Um, and so you definitely should save some time to network and market what you do. Just the fact that you're in the audience right now, that's a step that is further along than some of the people that are just sitting at home. That's a step in the right direction. How about you? For me, it was about finding a community of people. I take the most joy in audio work, so whether that's radio or podcasting, fiction podcasting as well, which is kind of a passion of mine that I'm hoping to pursue someday. Um, I take the most joy when I am, maybe I'm doing it on my own, but I'm sharing with other people and I'm learning from other people and I'm getting excited about their successes and I'm rallying with them when they have a setback and likewise they're doing that for me. Um, like Tony, I like to hyper-focus and like make, 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 do, do, do and edit like crazy. But I tend to get tunnel vision and get hyper-focused on my own projects and burn out really easily. So for me, it was finding a community. I take a lot of joy in teaching and 
for me when I don't have the time to make, 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 and do, do, do on a particular project, if I can check in with some of my students or some of my mentees and see what they're doing and maybe it's just taking a five minute phone call and helping them out with their work, it reinvigorates me with my work. And I don't think I knew that when I was starting out. That was something I really had to learn uh, along the way. You talked about editing a little bit. I think a lot of people are surprised about how much a lot of podcasts are edited. Even people think it just happens and it's a straight conversation and that is how it happened. I think I learned this actually from the workshop at WISO. Community Voices took that mm -hmm. course and that was a, you know, even though when I write a story, of course I'm editing the story. I don't write every um or like somebody says when they give me a quote, I move stuff around. I tell the story. So talk about the um, editing part of podcasting. Well, I'm so happy that you brought this up. Um, You're welcome. Yeah, I actually, I was just listening to the 1,000th episode of WTF uh, mm -hmm. the other week. You know, WTF is one of the seminal podcasts, has really been on the journey of the podcasting boom. Um, Mark and his producer, Brendan, are doing great work. And one of the things they brought up in their 1,000th episode, it was a conversation about the process of the podcast, was editing because you know they're producing this podcast in Mark's garage and there's this idea that they turn on the mic and he has a conversation with whoever he's talking to and whatever was committed to tape is exactly what you're hearing and that's just not the case. We as human beings, we're very messy in our storytelling and sometimes we forget things and sometimes we backtrack and things like that. And we're all used to that in a person-to-person -person live setting. If I can look into Amelia's eyes or Tony's eyes and see like they're telling a story and we're here and, I'm and we're in it and there's hand gestures and things like that, that can be a very different experience when you're just listening on your headphones or in your car. Listening is typically a very solitary experience. And I think you owe it to your listeners and to yourself to do, even if it's a minimal amount of editing, just polish it up, shape it up a little bit. I'm just a firm, firm believer that you don't have to do the super, super labor-intensive style editing that I think Tony and I both like to do because we're gluttons for punishment that way. If you like it, do it. You don't have to have the most sound-rich production ever. I always uh, tell people, if you're familiar with the show and podcast Radiolab, it's highly mixed, highly orchestrated. You don't have to make Radiolab but what you owe it to yourself to do is to listen back to what you did and maybe polish it up a little bit before you shoot it out to the world, to your listeners. I think it's really important. Very, very interesting. And as it turns out, very, very little editing this episode. But there's some editing, not too much, a little bit. Jumping in real quick to remind you that you are listening to the What Had Happened Was podcast and you can be part of this show. One way is to join Cox Digital Marketing by becoming a sponsor. The podcast has more than a million downloads now. In fact, it has about 1,030,000 at this point. And it launched right here in the WHIO Radio Studios on January 25th, 2018. So, you know, a little bit over a year old. Not bragging, but I am saying that I am real proud of what we've done. And by we, I mean you and me and everyone who has touched this show. We got more stuff to do. And we can do it together. So let Cox Digital Marketing find solutions for your digital needs. They're trusted, reliable, and have been doing it for generations. Back to the show. You know, you know I didn't realize people said, you know. 
as so much as right. people say you know. We all do. We all have a word. You might know yours, or as you're starting to podcast and you start to hear yourself on the mic, you'll get to know yours really well. And as soon as you break yourself of the habit, it'll change. We're all people. It happens. I do this whole mm, mm, when people are talking because when I'm interviewing people for the paper or for a digital story, I want people to keep talking. So I go mm hmm and like and, I go, and like too. So you try to cut those things out. What were you going to say? I didn't mean to cut well, you know, and, and it's the same way. I, I help teach a podcasting class at DATV, and and really, literally, we just use Audacity to start out with because it's free. You can download it. But I teach where I have people read like you know. One, two, buckle my shoe, ring, 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 ring. And I have them take the ring, ring, ring out because you could be doing a, a, this great podcast and you're 20 minutes into it and your phone rings. Well, what are you going to do? You're not going to leave it in. You're going to take it out. And so we do basic editing that way. And so you really do kind of owe it to your listener. Another thing is, for me, and I see some podcasts that just go on forever, and it's good for you. Some of these go on for two hours, and if you can be engaging for two hours, amen. I've set aside, for me, it's a half hour. I almost never go to a half If I go longer than a half hour, I cut it into two pieces. And the reason I do that is because I don't have a big attention span. I'm bored after a half hour. I want to do something else. I want to listen to another podcast. So for me personally, I may interview a musician or some kind of famous person for 45 minutes or even an hour. But I'm only going to use the best half hour. That's me personally. That's what I do. You know, but that way, when I'm talking about editing, then I feel like I'm giving the listener the best content available. How long does it take you to edit that half-hour show? <laughs> it depends. If I'm being really crazy, it could take a couple of hours. But I've gotten really, really good. I'm a GarageBand Mac guy. So I'll teach Audacity in the podcasting class. I'll do GarageBand. And I've gotten really good at it where I can actually edit in under an hour now. There is some truth to occasionally I'll get sloppy and went, you know, I left a big gap in here. Terry was saying about uh, not listening to your own podcast. It's like, how do you expect somebody to listen to your podcast if you don't even listen to it? And every once in a while, I find, oh, man, I have a mistake in there where I had a volume thing where I did wrong or something. It's because you didn't listen to the whole thing. You get so caught up, that can be a problem, too. It's like, maybe the perfection side of it, you don't have to be perfect. You mentioned your class earlier. Tell people about your class, because I think that's a cool Well, there, Well, we there, you know, we've got the, the little, this is the podcasting workshop. I don't think I've done seven or eight of these classes at DATV, and I try to say that every, that you can do podcasting at home for free to start off with. Even if you're just using the microphone on your laptop. Again, is it ideal? No. You could actually do a podcast using your phone. Is it ideal? No. But at least you're starting. And the idea is you're starting. Maybe you don't even publish the first couple of podcasts that you do. But the idea is you're starting. And so in the podcasting class, we talk about like generating ideas. One of the things, I've been DJing for a long time and doing different shows on the radio and then also in podcasting. But my feeling is whatever idea you have, if you can't come up with 10 shows, you gotta kinda question whether you maybe wanna go forward with that podcast. If you're gonna do a, a show on your favorite punk bands or the favorite recipes that you like to cook, if you don't have 10 favorite recipes, is it worth putting all the effort into this podcast if you can't immediately brainstorm 10 ideas? And I use that same philosophy for the radio side of things. If somebody comes to me with an idea on the radio, I say the same thing. You can't, give me 10 episode ideas so that you always have something in the back burner. Because, you know, 
sure, it's great to have a lot of lead time and be able to work on our podcast all week, but then you know what? Your mother-in-law is going to come in town or something is going to happen. You're going to get sick and your, your listeners are expecting to still get that content every week. And some weeks, you're not going to have the same amount of time to devote to it. So I always tend to try to work ahead and to have some things on the back burner of like, you know, even if you record shows that are not dated, you have those kind of in the back ground as you can pull that out of the archives just in case you end up getting a week that's real hectic or you're sick or something like that. You guys do a podcast training too, right? Yes. I co-design and co-teach what we call at WISO Podcasting 101. Ours is an all-day intensive where we start the day, we go around, we listen to your ideas, and we workshop your ideas the entire day. So we talk about Recording techniques, you know, everything from recording with your laptop speaker or on your phone to using pro gear um, and a studio, a home studio setup. We talk about a lot about interviewing technique, ethics uh, in terms of interviewing fiction, nonfiction. There's ethics involved in everything you do. What? So, right? <laughs> <laughs> so we have a really, that's usually like the most fun part of the day is talking ethics, honestly. We talk about distribution, marketing. We go over voicing and how to be a good host. And one of the things we also talk about is how to make a plan for your podcast. Exactly what Tony is saying How do you take this idea you have and make it doable and reasonable for you as somebody who is starting out? Somebody who is not doing this as a full-time job right now, maybe that's what you aspire to. Somebody who maybe has access to good gear, but only certain days and certain hours, maybe has access to their interview subjects all the time, or maybe needs to make super special arrangements like Tony would with interviewing, you know, people like Ann Wilson, like really carving out that time. Like how do we make that all possible? Um, so we spend the whole day sort of workshopping the idea from start to finish. Um, at the end of the day, we go around, everybody repitches their idea and we, the professionals on staff, as well as the cohort in the group, give them feedback on their idea and help them formulate a plan to get started. And then folks that attend our workshop, I think this is probably similar for you guys at DATV, then can come back and work with us exactly. and yep. get some training, <clears throat> use gear, et cetera. Yep, absolutely. Yep. So what are those like ethical concerns you were, you were talking about? There's journalistic ethics, yeah. as you and I know super, super well. It kind of depends on the type of podcast that folks want to do. You know, there are ethics in interviewing. Things as simple as, is it okay to record someone without disclosing that you're recording? The answer is no. What? <laughs> <laughs> I like doing that. Um, you know, whoa, whoa. There, there are things to think about even in fiction podcasting. Is it okay? And this is not necessarily a yes or no answer because it kind of depends on where you fall in the line of like fiction and metafiction. Is it okay to do a fiction podcast that sounds so real, like real journalism, that it fools a lot of your audience and other journalists, yes, this has happened, into thinking that it's a real, actual documentary? Like, is that okay? It kind of depends on what world you come from. Among our three instructors, our co-instructors, we each have a different opinion on that. So you get to kind of see that hashed out in the real world. And typically among our class participants, there are varying opinions. So we kind of just dive into that and really talk about like if you're making media, especially media where you're using other people's voices in addition to your own, what are things you need to think about to feel assured that the media you're making is 
in good stead and is being respectful and is doing some kind of good in the world. It's not that everything has to be shiny and happy, but isn't, isn't straight up harming people by what you're putting out there. Now, how do you get people to open up? Uh, yeah, it always helps. <laughs> that would work. I think it depends on each individual. If you're talking about, you know, interviewing somebody, it's like a case by case kind of basis. I tend to try to be personable at first. I mean, it sounds silly to talk about the weather or something that's just going on so that like you're just, again, sort of treating them like a human being rather than sort of jumping right into, so tell me about your new album. You tell know, me about it's like, your mother. It's like, Did she you know, beat you? I mean, I mean, I know some people are, I, I liked the, the example in the other room of like, what did your childhood smell like? That's good. That's a good question. I like that. That's like, <laughs> that's, that's thought-provoking because you don't know what you're going to answer there so anyway. so what did your child smell like ah hmm. that's i don't know I'd have to think about it. It, it, it it definitely smelled like food that's for sure like uh i don't know what did your childhood smell like i don't know how do you answer bologna that? bologna okay hot dogs <laughs> that's what it was probably hot dogs as a kid macaroni and cheese what did your child smell like um a combination of nag champra incense and uh whatever wildflowers my dad was growing Oh, so a little hippie-ish. A little, little, little hippie-ish. A little bit. A little mm. bit. <laughs> well, who are these people who are taking your classes? For, for us, uh, they are people from all over, from the Miami Valley and beyond. Mostly our classes are attended by local folks, but we do have some folks drive in. Last December, uh, the last workshop I taught, we had uh, a couple of folks coming from Lima just because it's kind of cool. The Dayton community offers this, and they didn't have anything nearby that was similar that was offering this type of training, and so they came to the Miami Valley for this training. They are people from all walks of life, students, educators, retired folks who are interested in pursuing something new, people who are actively working in an industry that they're passionate about, that they want to do like an industry-to-industry industry type of situation, people who want to use podcasting for art, some people who are just like avid listeners and just want to know more about how the sausage is made. So I always love kind of seeing who's in the room. Like, I'm so excited because I have a list of names, but I don't know who those folks are, but I'm going to get to know them through a whole day. And typically that combination of the fact that it can be anybody makes for a really good group and just an amazing batch of ideas and like stuff that I just want to listen to, you know, it's really fun. Is that the same for you guys? Well, I mean, it, it's definitely diverse, um, but I actually think that I'm surprised at how many older people come to the class. And it's because I think I try to make it as like user-friendly as possible and as less techy as possible. So, I mean, I try to go in with the idea that you know nothing about podcasting. And so literally we talk about from the ground up, you know, we've got the podcasting workstations at DATV. And so I tend to go around and do little exercises and make sure everybody's got it from the very ground up. And these are things that then you can take and go home and do the same thing at home kind of thing. So yeah, I mean, it varies like Juliet was saying. I don't know if we have people that are driving from great distances. I mean, but for us, it tends to be, I am impressed about how many sort of older, I've got to be careful, I'm old too, but you know, get older, if people are interested in it, I mean, I think podcasting, that's the beautiful thing. There is no age limit or demographic limit at all. Anybody can podcast, and that's what's cool about it. So I was asked to do this thing recently for a group of marketers about how to create a successful podcast. How do you know if you have a successful podcast? 
Well, I mean, I think there's a lot of different things. I mean, obviously, you talk about feedback that you get. That's a big thing. Obviously, if you get listens and downloads, and as they were saying in the other room, there were times when I was starting out where, oh my gosh, like I would go to bed and the last thing I would do is look at my web traffic and my downloads for the day. Big mistake, you know, because like, then I'm like, oh, you know, you're, you know, you're depressed or whatever. It's better to not look at that on a day-by-day basis and just do what you do have a voice, you know, the most important thing you can do is be unique in what you do. Whatever topic it is, what spin do you have on that topic that's going to be unique and keep people coming back week after week, show after show. That's the idea. What can you do unique-wise? The world, whatever it is, whatever topic filtered through you is what people want. And I think that you know, as, as you grow as what you're doing and you, and you get to look back as you go crossover, you know, oh, I did my 10th show or my 100th show or whatever, and I'm up to like 330 something. And it's like, you kind of have to be motivated by different things. You have to also be able to just kind of take pride in what you do. It's good to look at your web traffic and your downloads and all that, but I think it's a combination of different things. I don't know if you can just measure one thing as success. Now, obviously, you're coming from a very different kind of world with commercial. Uh, it's not really commercial. It's not commercial radio, but it's an established, yeah. an established news organization. What does success look like for you guys? For the station and for individuals, that's going to be different things. Okay. But part of it is knowing your audience. You know, your podcast might be something big and broad, you know, a big topic. Music, comedy, those are pretty universal things. Your podcast might have a very, very micro audience. Your podcast might be focused on fandom. You might be doing a podcast for a very specific fandom that's relatively small. So your numbers are going to look really, really different than the numbers for This American Life or Invisibilia or something like that. So in interpreting your numbers, and yeah, I agree with Tony, like don't look at your numbers nonstop. You'll just drive yourself crazy. It's not, it's not good. You have to know your audience and know what to expect. Success for us is, um, and success for what I tell my podcasters is feedback It's audience engagement. It's, am I reaching the audience that I want? Am I touching the people that I want? Am I I getting at those communities that I want to reach? And that's going to be different for every single person in this room. I can't tell you what that is. Sometimes people come in with really big, broad ideas, and then it becomes a marketing trick of how do you break that really big, broad idea down and start target marketing and get those little successes and incrementally build. Sometimes people do come in with that hyper-focused audience, and then it's how do you work your connections within that community. So success is, is different for every project and for every person, I think. Well, hey guys, thanks a lot for coming on and being part of this with me. I appreciate it. It was fun. Absolutely. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you, Amelia. <laughs> Aren't Tony and Juliet smarty pants in the best sense of the word? Be sure to check out their classes. Tony's at DATV, and Juliet is, of course, at WYSO. And check out their shows. I want to thank the Gym City Podcast for letting the What Had Happened Was Podcast be part of the Dayton Podfest 2019. The What Had Happened Was Podcast is produced by me, Amelia Robinson, in the WHIO Radio Studios. The show's artwork is by my best squirrel friend in the world, Troy of TL Creates of Columbus. Be sure to subscribe to the show. You can also find us on the WHIO app, 
for Roku and Apple TV. Until next time, see you later, alligator, and podcast on.